Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. I'm Sarah, an SLP in private practice, and I'm also a teacher for paid teacher's materials designer. This episode is all about incorporating songs and music into sessions with your Gestalt language learners. And you can find my packet on using songs for your students who are GLPs, specifically at stages one through three, on my website, slphappyhour.com or at teacherspayteachers.com. All links discussed today will be in the show notes, which you can find at slphappyhour.com. And if you'd like monthly or so updates from me, including easy lesson ideas, you can sign up at slphappyhour.com forward slash newsletter. Now, on to the show. Here are some things to know about Gestalt language processors before we get started. A Gestalt is a unit of language, for example, to infinity and beyond. Students are tuned into the musicality of language, so the Gestalts that stick are often ones that have rich intonation, and music can be an effective way to add in musicality, intonation, and fun into your sessions with Gestalt Language Processors, or GLPs. This episode will provide case studies of using music in speech therapy sessions with GLPs, including the strategies that I use in my private practice, how I use songs, and the progress of the students mentioned. If you'd like a print and go resource for your GLPs, you can find the Autism and Songs for Gestalt Language Processors packet on slphappyhour.com. And I would say that this episode is at an intermediate level, so it's for SLPs who are familiar with Gestalt language processing. If you'd like a primer on that before you dig into this episode, some resources are episode 99 of this podcast with Alexandria Zakos called What Works for Echolalia and Play-Based Sessions, episode 144 of this podcast called What You Need to Know About Gestalt Language Stages 1 through 3 with Jessica Texaria. You can also visit the Meaningful Speech course, which will be linked in the show notes, or read March Blanc's NLA book. The title of that book is Natural Language Acquisition on the Autism Spectrum. So let's start talking about students. I have a student on my caseload, let's call him Max, who loves watching songs on YouTube. Max is a kindergarten student who had a lot of ABA in preschool, but now speech therapy with me and at school are the only specialized services he receives. Max is an autistic student and he's a Gestalt language processor at stage two, meaning he's mixing and matching or mitigating or combining some of his Gestalts. For example, let's go and play colors. Those are two separate Gestalts can be mixed and matched to become let's play colors. Media use is an important part of Max's leisure time. He loves Mickey Mouse, nursery rhymes, and other songs. These give him some auditory input that he craves, and when we watch the song on YouTube, some of the visual input he's seeking as well. He also has a few favorite songs that help him calm down when he feels upset. Over the past few years working with Max, we've gone from passive media consumption with him, where he was watching YouTube clips of songs and where there wasn't much communication or interaction, to active media use that encourages communication. As this has happened, we've used more and more songs in our sessions. 
So what does this look like? In Sessions with Max, we will take a song or nursery rhyme he likes and play a YouTube clip. We pause as we go along and Max tells me what he thinks or asks me to play more of the video and I model gestalts at his NLA or natural language acquisition level. Some days we do songs for the entire session, although we also incorporate play, some go-go speech activities. That's a company that I like using its M membership and it's essentially a wordless story on PowerPoint. We play with toys, food toys are Max's current favorite, and sometimes we do boom cards with picture scenes where Max can direct me for where he wants me to place items. For example, there's an empty bedroom with all the furniture on the side, or an outdoor scene with bugs on the side, since Max loves to direct me what to do. So when using songs in your sessions, do you need to use YouTube? Absolutely not. Sometimes I'll sing songs with students with without a video playing. The decision to use YouTube or not should be based on the needs and preferences of the child you are working with, their development and age, and your own clinical judgment. My own rule of thumb is for students younger than four, I will sing songs without the tablet. And for kids four and up, I'll bring in the tablet and see how it goes case by case. Why do I use YouTube? Many children I work with enjoy that visual input paired with the auditory input of watching a video while singing their song of choice. Returning to our case study of Max, I introduced using one or two songs with YouTube into our repertoire of things we did in sessions. I noticed, especially if we started with a song and Max loved songs, he was calmer and happier for the rest of the session. I also noticed that he was okay with doing a song at the start of the session, but for that first song, he wanted to use this time to regulate and attune to the environment. So for the first song of the session, we wouldn't talk much. For quite a while, we'd do songs for the entire session. And now that I'm more familiar with Max's interests and preferences, we've expanded that to, most days, doing two to four songs per session. When introducing songs with new students, here are signs I look for that using media might be dysregulating. Can the student tolerate pausing the media for a few moments to talk about the action? Can the student tolerate moving away from media? Or do they get so dysregulated that if you do bring in media, you need to use it for the whole session? How old is the child? What is the attention span of the child? Can you model gestalts or otherwise be working on communication goals with that media playing? Does the student want to engage in media use together, or is it dysregulating for them unless they're doing it alone? How does the child engage with media at home? I notice that if kids I work with typically have a lot of time using YouTube alone and at home, they usually don't want to do it together in sessions because for them, it's a solo leisure activity, and that is just a-okay. In the case of Max, I noticed that, with the exception of that first song, he really enjoyed discussing the action of the songs, but he often didn't seem to know what to talk about or what to say. That showed me that modeling gestalts during this music time might be a productive use of our time. Furthermore, I knew he was watching these videos at home with his family as a leisure activity, so I wanted him to have chances to discuss the videos with his family at home. As we discuss using music in sessions, let's take a moment to discuss the research 
Knowing that a student is interested in music is a great reason to incorporate songs into your speech and language sessions. But what does the research say? Like many areas of speech and language research, there are some promising initial studies and more research is needed. A summary of the research. A systematic research review by Van Tellingen et al. summarized that using music in sessions for students, this research wasn't done with autistic students, can result in gains in a variety of developmental areas, so not just speech and language, and those can include, again, speech and language, but also cognitive, social and emotional skills, and motor skills. The studies reviewed had small sample sizes. Some had poor rigor, according to the authors. Asha's evidence map for music and speech therapy summarizes that based on limited studies, there is some promising evidence of the benefits of using music in speech therapy, although currently not enough high-quality studies have been completed to consider the evidence robust. When looking at the research, I also remember remind myself of the evidence-based EBP triangle and that that triangle has three sides. According to Asha's rendering of the EBP triangle, one side of the triangle is evidence, such as research studies, and Asha does clarify that that means internal and external evidence, as well as the other two sides of the triangle, which are client perspectives and clinical expertise. When I'm considering client perspectives, again, one side of that EBP triangle, I often ask myself, what does the student love most? What do they love about it? When is the student joyful and engaged? For many of my students, one of the answers to this question is that they are joyful and engaged when we're listening to music, singing, or watching a song on YouTube. So when considering client perspectives, I want my sessions to be child-led and based on the interests of the child I'm working with. The third side of that EBP triangle is clinical expertise. As an SLP, I take ongoing data of how sessions go when I use music. I've found that for the most part, students are engaged, attentive to language models, and are interested when songs are a part of the session. Furthermore, my students are more regulated and in the learning zone when we incorporate songs. I can take data like the amount of time spent per session on task, the level of regulation and attention, and the use of language samples to document growth over time as we use songs in sessions. So now that we've discussed EBP and using songs in speech therapy, here are five must-dos when using songs in sessions. Number one, consider the child's age and attention level. Media use guidelines from the American Academy of Pediatrics are that kids ages 18 months and under should have no screen time, video calls don't count, ages 2 to 5 should have 1 hour per day or less, ages 6 through 17 should have 2 hours per day or less. Although it's important to be familiar with these guidelines as an SLP, it's also important to consider the limitations of using these as blanket guidelines, especially for autistic children whose interest areas include media use. If media use is regulating for them and or media use allows them to access their interests, we don't want to be too heavy-handed about limiting media. Children should have access to learning more about their interests and engaging in activities that are leisure for them. We don't want to limit access to this, although there may be times when we choose not to have it be a part of speech and language sessions. As you are considering adding media into sessions, I like to start small with an initial song to get used to being in the speech room or a song at the end of the session before we say goodbye. That said, I wouldn't do this if a child had difficulty transitioning away from media, if that would cause more stress to them. Starting with a few minutes of a song in sessions won't 
make or break that media usage limit as well. Also, we should consider how realistic are these media guidelines? My guess is that most families are exceeding this media limit. This is based on conversations with families I work with in my own clinic. I believe that for many families, these guidelines may be unrealistic. When parents ask me about media use, I ask them first, what does that look like at home? If media use is mostly something the child is doing solo, I encourage the family to make media use a family event where everyone is engaged together rather than a child being alone in their room on an iPad. I also ask them how much media use the child currently has, and we use that as a baseline to reduce from there as needed. From my own clinical experience, young kids under the age of four can tend to get sucked into media use and really not have the attention or self-regulation to pause a video and talk about the song. In that case, it's not a communication activity, but it's better suited as a leisure activity to be completed outside of speech and language sessions. Tip two, envision your session and make it interactive. Incorporating music into sessions should bring music in in a way that supports modeling gestalts for your GLP. Consider what are the child's favorite songs? What sensory input does the child like? How would those sensory actions fit into a song? What are the child's favorite figurines, toys, play routines, and how can we play with those within the context of a song? Here are some case examples. A student I work with loves saying the gestalt, I love plus animals, so I love cow, I love sheep. The student not only loves using this gestalt, but wants more opportunities to use it. We go to YouTube and watch Old MacDonald, and while I model a variety of gestalts at his NLA level, we also pause and say, I love plus animal, resulting in joy and engagement for this child. I have another student who loves letters, so we sing the bingo song, but replace the letters of B-I-N-G-O with the letters in the child's name, personalizing the activity and getting to sing about letters, resulting in a joyful experience with the child. And I learned that from Muscle White. Another student who loves PJ masks figurines and playing with them and the song Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed, we grab the figurines and make the figurines jump off the table. So we might say something like Romeo, whose character in PJ masks, Romeo fell off and bumped his head. My student loves this. I have another student who loves jumping and crashing into a soft surface and also loves the song The Wheels on the Bus. So we sing the song and jump on the crash mat whenever we get to the repetitive all through the town, pausing between each verse also. So the student chooses which verse to sing next. So the parents, the baby, the wipers, etc. Tip three, have a goal in mind and be flexible. While there are SLPs who have been providing child-led therapy for GLPs for years, I am not one of those SLPs, and since you've listened so far to this episode, I'm guessing you aren't either, and maybe you need a little more support, like I do. So if that's the case, having an idea of some activities and some gestalts you may model in a session prior to the session can be helpful. If you are more experienced in play-based sessions for GLPs, perhaps you can skip this step. Some tips I have in this area. Outline songs and activities the student likes. Consider gestalts you'd like to model at their NLA level, and what gestalts you might like to model at the next NLA level, perhaps. Consider areas of communication or communication functions. 
Are they using communication to advocate for their needs, including sensory needs such as let's jump? To Are they using communication to express preferences and desires like let's do more or not that one? To reject or ask to stop? To make a choice and show they want something different and more? If there are areas within those examples or other communicative functions that you'd like to target in your session, keeping that in mind can help you think of some gestalts you might model. So let's do another case example, Peter. When we do anything in sessions, we have that goal in mind. And once a week, I co-treat with a private practice OT or occupational therapist in her sensory gym. And one of the students we see together is NLA stage two, let's call him Peter. Before we start sessions together, I consider what activities are interesting to Peter. Currently, his favorites include spinning in a chair, climbing up the ladder to the monkey bars. He sometimes drops down to a crash mat below, but usually hangs and then backs up and goes back to the rungs that he used to climb up. And he loves swinging. His gestalts for chair are push me and push me please. And his gestalts for the monkey bars are let's go up and let's go down. Some mitigated gestalts I could model based on this are let's spin, let's go around, let's do it again, let's climb up, let's play monkey bars and more. Before I start sessions with him, I have some ideas of these preferred activities and the gestalts I might model. Side note, if you have the opportunity to work with an OT, do it. I spend less time lesson planning and absolutely love having access to a sensory gym and learning from the OT that I work with. So back to Peter. Last week, my plan didn't work. Peter came into the session hungry and wanted a snack and then tickles. He let me know he was hungry by saying open the door to get to the room with snacks. So we started there. After a snack, Peter laid down on the crash mat and said tickle. So I modeled tickle plus feet, tickle plus hands, etc. He already had gestalts with body parts and he had tickle me. So this was a great opportunity to model these mitigated gestalts. Did my session go as I thought it would? No. Was it still a successful session? Yes. Furthermore, the next session, Peter wanted to spin and do the monkey bars, so I didn't feel like taking a few extra minutes to envision how the session might go was wasted at all. When I mentally plan my lessons or jot down a few quick notes, I also review the Google Doc where I had Peter's language sample, which has been an invaluable ongoing resource. I had a goal in mind, and I remained flexible with Peter which is a helpful tip for sessions with GLPs. Tip four, take data on the goal and the language sample is the data. Continuing with the example of Peter, what data did I take and how? Peter's goal was to mitigate 10 new gestalts in speech sessions, and I track that with ongoing language sampling. For me, because I'm on the go, I write down utterances on my phone's note app during the sessions and after the session I transfer the utterance into Peter's language sample on a Google Doc. I also include it in the soap note and then I delete the note file on my phone. I've also used a reusable boogie board to write down gestalts during the session, transfer them to the Google Doc, and then press the button to erase on the boogie board and be ready to write down for my next client. So I love that it's erasable and reusable. When I have a goal in mind, so in that case, mixing and matching 10 new gestalts to form 10 unique 
new gestalts, my language sample is the data and I can track progress over time with that. Having the Google Doc also allows me to search for gestalts the child is using, using the find feature, which is control F on my computer. And that has been an amazing tip that's helped me save a tremendous amount of time. So that's just one example of a goal. Some other goal areas that I write for GLPs, again, take what you want, leave the rest. These are just some things that I've tried out. First one is to open blank. So a number of circles of communication in a session to participate in blank. And then I add in the number of people or play activities. I usually start with five. So for example, June will participate in five people or toy play activities within speech and language sessions. For NLA stages four through six, which isn't the focus of this episode, but I do typically have grammar goals. And for NLA one, I typically have goals to have a certain number, maybe 10 of new, flexible, easily medicable gestalts. So I hope those goal suggestions were helpful to get you started. Tip five, vary the songs to vary the language models. While students definitely have their favorite songs and sessions, Max loves the Muffin Man, Peter loves Five Little Monkeys, I do try and vary the songs we use in sessions so that I can also vary the language models. Let's bring in another case example, Connor, to highlight varying songs and models. Connor is an elementary student who is in LA stage 5, so we are modeling some pronouns and negatives in sessions. He loves playing with a Fisher-Price pirate ship, and we use magnetiles to make an ocean under the ship, and sometimes shark toys even visit. While I couldn't think of any pirate songs per se, I immediately thought of the Baby Shark song and wondered if there was a way to expand Baby Shark or even include it in our play routine. I ended up grabbing two sharks, and I knew that we were I was modeling the use of they, and that I want to model it plus something specific to his stage five level modeling the negatives isn't and won't. So during the play routine, I start to sing the beginning of Baby Shark, and I can see that once I do that, I'm getting more attention and engagement. So I pause and return to the play scene and say, oh no, holding one of the people, like the person is saying it, right? Oh no, sharks. And holding another person figurine, I say, don't worry, they won't get you. And then we build a box with magnetiles around one of the sharks. And the shark is saying, this isn't fair. I can't get out. And then we keep singing more of the song and expand on the play routine. So a little bit of song, a little bit of play. To review, I'm doing things I've seen the student do before in sessions, which is play with sharks, play with the ship, and a play routine where sharks get to the people. He had also made boxes out of the magnetiles to enclose the figurines. So I'm taking what he's already doing. I'm modeling language based on his stage. And I didn't have to sing the whole song. I didn't have to include a device or YouTube. And I didn't need to base my whole session on that one song. The next session, I brought out five shark figurines. And we did five little sharks to the tune of five little monkeys and had them one at a time fall off the table where the pirate ship was. And I'd model the people in the boat say, he won't get me now, or that one isn't here. I've noticed that while I can use the same song over and over and model different gestalts, there does become a point at which it's almost too much of a routine and kids will get their favorite gestalts to go with the song. 
which is not a problem, but I want to model more. So this is why in Connor's case, I used the Baby Shark song for one session and Five Little Monkeys, uh, which we changed to Five Little Sharks jumping on the water uh, for the subsequent session. So final tips for success and just a review of what was covered in this episode. As you incorporate music into your sessions, remember to consider the child's age and attention level. Envision your session and make it interactive. Have a goal in mind and keep it flexible. Take data on the goal, and the language sample is the data, and vary the songs to vary your language models. I hope incorporating songs into your sessions is as fun, engaging, and full of learning for your students as it has been for mine. If you'd like to get a system to get you started, including a packet with more than 30 pages of lesson planning sheets, tips for success and song ideas with gestalts to model for NLA stages one and two and three, check out the packet on my website, slphappyhour.com or on Teachers Pay Teachers. I hope this episode was helpful. I hope you learned something new that you can try in your own sessions. And I hope that this episode was a little slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Until next time.